You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing, then, Karen? I'm doing very well, Charlie. You know, I just realized you are like the final guest of the year for The Morning Buzz, Charlie. Wow, what an honor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we got to end this with a bang, Charlie. I mean, it's always fun talking to you about news stories. And usually, right, we talk about what's been happening this week, but we're going to look back at some of the biggest local news stories of the year. And I picked a couple that I thought really stood out, and I thought... One of the stories that was really big was um, the the killing of Canadian Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijjar. Now, to this day, his murder still remains unsolved. But, Charlie, the reason I want to talk about this story is this became a local story and then suddenly became very much international. So, Charlie, even when we go into the new year, do you think this is going to be a story that we will continue to be talking about as we want to know what exactly happened here? Oh, I think definitely, because... Once you've got, uh, you know, the charge in the United States, and now the um, RCMP, uh, it appears that uh, they have two suspects under surveillance and suggesting that charges may occur in in the next few weeks. Well, once that gets into the criminal courts in both countries, it's going to attract a ton of attention and uh it already did, obviously. First of all, the murder was so shocking where he was shot dead on June 18th in the, you know, in the parking lot of the Guru Nanak Sikwara. Um, but then what followed was Justin Trudeau's statement, which a lot of people had already been suggesting India might have some involvement, like the World Sikh Organization and others. And, and it even came a couple of months later when Justin Trudeau made his statement in Parliament on in September. But then there were attempts to downplay what he had said, but that kind of blew up in, in India's face in a way when, when the FBI uh, proceeded against uh, a man, in, and in, actually he was arrested in the Czech Republic in connection with a plot against another Sikh leader um, in New York and a close associate, Mr. Nietzsche. So the, um, now that the, then you had Anthony Blinken in India making public comments to the media, uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, and that really turned it into a big international issue, and, and I think Canada and Trudeau was vindicated um, to a large degree. And so now we're in this situation where um, what's going to happen in 2024, and it could be more fireworks. I think the challenge that India is a close ally of the Americans and the Western Alliance in terms of containing China. So there's these two parallel tracks, um, but I don't know uh, where it's going to lead, but it's definitely a story that we haven't heard the end of. Oh, for sure, Charlie. And another story that I noticed that was quite big, and I would argue this was all throughout the year, is the NDP government. But specifically, their focus on tackling the housing crisis. The one policy that really stood out to me was the short-term rentals, right, cracking down on that. So what do you make of how the NDP government here uh, has been handling the housing crisis? Well, I think they've realized, first of all, they have a self-interest in this, and that they need to get reelected. And 
with the current rents and with the current housing costs uh, and BC having uh, in some areas like Vancouver the most unaffordable housing in the country they they had to take action but I am impressed by the scope of the actions and also how comprehensive it is because on the one hand I feel they're supporting renters and you can see that with the Airbnb move where you can only do Airbnb on a private residence or short-term rentals. Um, they've also contained rent increases for existing tenants. Um, the other thing they're doing is expanding housing by one of the most dramatic moves was allowing four units on single-family lots across the province. And this is really dramatic. And you know, some people are not happy about it. They think it's going to affect neighborhoods and municipalities are questioning whether there's sufficient infrastructure. But the bottom line is uh, something had to be done to unlock that municipal gridlock over housing. But then <laughs> they not only did that, but also the, the transit-oriented developments. And, and this was another very dramatic move where they, they stipulated... Uh, minimum allowable heights near transit stations. So if you were 200 meters or less, the minimum allowable height is, is uh, 20 stories in, in Metro Vancouver and then 10 stories in Victoria, Kelowna, and other medium-sized municipalities. And this is at bus exchanges. So then you get 200 to 400 meters and at six stories that um, in in Victoria, Kelowna, other medium-sized municipalities, and in Vancouver, it's up to 12 stories. And so, uh, and then they also said in some cases parking requirements will be waived. So you don't, the developers don't have to kind of meet these municipal targets on parking, and which will reduce the cost of housing because a parking stall is actually very, very expensive. When you go underground, it could be $35,000 in a, $40,000. And so, so I think what the minister, uh, Robbie Cullen, is trying to do is make a very serious attempt to address the housing crisis. It's, we're not going to see results overnight. It takes a long time to build housing. But I think it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. And of course, like you said, next year there is going to be an election. So, of course, that is the uh, motivation to really get moving on this file. So, of course, we'll probably... I, I actually think they are concerned about young people. Um, and Karen, like when you've got the, the one issue is housing affects everything in a lot of ways. Like if you're in an abusive relationship and the cost of housing is so sky high, you can't get out of that situation. True. Um if you're young and you don't have a lot of family support, you can't go to post-secondary education if, if the housing is so high. Um, if if housing prices are high and people are blaming foreigners, that contributes to racism in the community. And so I think what they're doing, like I can't overestimate how important I feel this is and, and why... Um, I really want to give the government credit for, for tackling this because I think the, the results are quite far-reaching in our society that go beyond simply the cost of housing, but, it, but I think will affect people's lives. 
Oh, for sure, Charlie. And just the fact that, like you said, there are consequences when we don't deal with the housing crisis in so many ways that we don't even think about. And I would say, Charlie, you know, in your time, especially of, you know, covering the B.C. government, have you ever seen such widespread policy like this in the past? Uh, not. I don't, I don't know if I have. Um, there have been attempts, you know, in the education system to do major overhauls, but nothing that I can recall that is as multifaceted, kind of keeping in mind the renters, but also saying we need supply. And in addition, uh, the anti-racism component of this, which is never talked about in the media, but I do believe that it's it's something that is uh, on Ravi Kalan's mind. You might even want to talk to him about it sometime, some point, because I think this is an issue that he's been concerned about for a long time. And and, and I just think it takes guts. Uh, there could be political consequences. It could even cost them the election. But I think they're doing something that they feel is the right thing to do. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to continue to be one of those topics that we will discuss here, Charlie. Now, another story, Charlie, that I feel you and I were always talking about every couple months is Christine Sinclair. It felt like 2023, she was kind of always in the news. And particularly, of course, recently she had retired. They had a big game at BC Place to celebrate her. So what do you make of just people's love for Christine Sinclair? <laughs> it's, it's, it's deep. It's far-reaching. <laughs> and she's a Canadian icon, and I, I wish they had called it uh, BC Place Stadium, Christine Sinclair Stadium on a permanent basis. Yes. They only did it for one day on her final match. Um, but it, it, it's just astonishing. You know, you, there's the statistics, obviously, 190 goals, 331 uh, international matches and scored when she was 16 years old, and then she scored when she was 39 years old. Um gold medal at the Olympics and uh, just just a phenomenal career and coming from Burnaby. Uh, but I also think she kind of represents certain things to people and, and this also accounts for her appeal. First of all, she's she has a humility about her, but also a toughness. And she was willing to take on uh, the men in, in Canada soccer over women's wages, for instance. And, and she's been a real fighter in that area. So I think people can see that she's there's some real substance there with her that goes beyond. And, and also, she, she's not super talkative or anything like that. She, she's not a big show-off. She just goes out and does the job. And, and I think people really respond to that about her, and, and, and it makes her uh, just really, really popular. I like that. She's very much herself and she's genuine and real as a person. I think, like you said, I think that's why a lot of us admire and respect her. So I really look forward to seeing kind of what she's going to be doing in this next chapter. I think we'll all be following that closely. Now, Charlie, I want to talk about Vancouver, of course. And I read an article that you released, Words to Remember, Vancouver's Year in Quotes. Can you tell folks about it? Yeah, what I wanted to do was kind of often you see this year in review that publications do, and they kind of review the, the stories and all of that, and I think people enjoy that, and it's, it is a slow time of year. But I, what I wanted to, what I what we do at Vancouver is we want to bring voices forward, and underrepresented voices, and voices that you don't normally hear in the media. And so 
I thought rather than me writing about a bunch of things that we would shine a light on the voices of people and in different areas like artistic expression, but also about uh, discrimination and equality um, and also some of the wise things that uh, I heard over the years, like over the year, I, it's amazing when you interview people and sometimes they'll say something and you'll stop in your tracks and focus on what they say and and almost have an epiphany of wow I never thought of that before and and so so that's something what I wanted to capture in these in these quotes and like one of the my favorites was Ben Pierce who's uh, the father of global news BC's uh, Jason Pierce and Ben I'm interviewing Ben and he's a retired journalist and he says I'm a Canadian I don't call someone a British Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and what he was saying is he didn't want uh, to be called an Indo-Canadian because he doesn't call people British Canadians. He doesn't want to be called an Indo-Canadian. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Like, why are we always doing that? Or um, some, of the, some of the other quotes were along those lines, like the uh, Jesse Sopal, the um, artist. And he said he's aware of the atrocities that, that come with, Indian history. So for him, he doesn't want to use a lot of color because he feels like color is celebrating something that he doesn't want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So he does a lot of black and white and gold in his art. Um, and so it's a lot of quotes like that. Um, and it was lots of fun. Another one, I, I think uh, Sabrina Rani, uh, Rani Firminger, who does the YVR screen scene, I love this one when she said, she does these podcasts. When we talk about white supremacy, it's not coded language for me calling everyone racist or my guests calling people racist. So she says, when I use white supremacy, I'm not calling people racist. We're talking about structures that were built in the colonial landscape. And often when the term white supremacy is used, you get, you hear, you can sometimes see this defensiveness and this white fragility. And I think she just cut right through that um, with that comment. No, that was a really nice one. My personal favorite was uh, the one coming from uh, uh, Jag Nagra, where she said, my art and finding my identity have gone hand in hand. It's like the chicken or the egg. I don't know which one came first. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought like, oh, that's so, I loved that. I thought that was amazing. So folks, you need to read this piece. Go to Vancouver.ca. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. It has been a joy talking to you this last year and look forward to more in the new year. Oh, the same, same for me, man, Karen. Happy New Year. Happy Take New care. Year. Bye.